Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of family and children's discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. All right, Tony, it is good to be back with you. How are you, my friend? I am doing quite well, so uh, enjoying this Valentine's Day uh, later with my wife, but now with you, I guess. It is. It's good to enjoy Valentine's Day with you. Um, so were you pleased with the outcome of the Super Bowl? No, not really. Even Such the ads were is. garbage. See, I didn't see. I was sort of chasing my little boy around the house we were at, so um, I only saw a few. Uh, I saw the Backstreet Boys uh, pushing Doritos, and uh, that's really the only one I remember. There were like 47 of them with robots in them. Oh, okay. Interesting. It's weird. Well, I guess where we're headed as a society, we're kind of becoming like the Japanese. So, Tony, when you, um, you know, since I know Christmas is a big commercial time of the year, um, when you are going to a store or not going to a store, like what kind of things do you weigh uh, or you factor in? Like, I don't know if you're going to get clothes or you got to get whatever you need to get. Um, yeah, when I look get clothes, I just try to find something that pleases my wife. Uh, uh, if I wasn't married, I think I would just wear burlap slacks all the time because it's cheaper than getting clothes. But I'm generally a – I <laughs> get as cheap as I possibly can, lowest in any shopping, lowest price per ounce or whatever. I don't lowest price per – do they put those on clothes? Either. I know they do at the grocery store. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> These jeans are only eight cents per ounce versus those ones are twelve. Oh man! So any any other kind of shopping though, um, or say uh, you know a restaurant, um, how do you go through making the choice? You know whether I want to go to this restaurant or that restaurant or this place as opposed to that place. Ah, uh, if the place advertises bacon as being prominent on their menu, I'd probably choose that place for a restaurant. But. Uh, you know, I tend to also go with what's cheap and what's close uh, because I don't want to put a lot of effort into that kind of thing. So if the restaurant, one of your favorite places started uh, pushing that they were going to be like all vegan, um, what would you do? Uh, I might get arrested. <laughs> <laughs> kind of show out there? Okay. <laughs> we live in a culture full of consumer choices and uh, the consumer is always right i still it's i guess it's evidence that god didn't make me to be an entrepreneur because i just don't believe that when, when i have worked in uh the marketplace I'm like no the customer is not always right sometimes the customer is just stupid and wrong but um can't say that uh, if you want to keep your job but that has clearly infused the church as well uh, at least in our our culture our society wouldn't you agree yeah, definitely. I think there are a lot of ways in which this happened. So that, that kind of leads us into what we're going to talk about today, Tony. The uh, consumer-friendly ideas uh, of the church, uh, how aware of those things, and how much, uh, how much attention should we pay um, if we have any responsibility within the church for, um, for programming or for how things reach out, those kind of things. How attuned should we be to that? So, you know, you, you sort of... Uh, it's clear it's it's happening. Um, do you think it happens everywhere? Is this just an American or Western problem, or do you think this the, the culture shaping the church is, is something that goes on everywhere? I think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it is a real prevalent thing that we see in so many different ways in different areas. So, uh, kind of one illustration I think of this reality that I've heard that really stuck home with me uh, a couple years ago. Uh, there's a term in the story of the prodigal son when we read that in our Bibles that m most Americans, including myself, largely ignore, but most people from third world countries, from developing world countries, uh, really highly focus on it in the, st in the story of the prodigal son. And it's really one word. Do you know what word it is that we ignore and that other people highlight? Uh, no, I'm trying to think. There was I can't know. What is it? Famine. There was a famine in the famine. land. Ah. And uh, we, we don't even think about it. I mean, we don't, that uh, it's not to us when we read it, part of our core reading of the prodigal son. Uh, but I mean, at so fundamentally um, 
and fundamentally at the core of the message for those who are in other cultures. I think that's just a little way that sees it. Uh, I think leadership uh, cult structure is often cultural as well. Uh, I was reading a really great article in Gospel Coalition by a guy named Sam Albury, and he was talking about ways in which uh, culture shapes the church leadership. And he talked about the dangers of an America. Sometimes church structure can become kind of CEO-based, trying to uh, have the pastor as a CEO. And in uh, England, he said... Uh, that uh, the pastor can be perceived as like a benevolent general, uh, and I think that's an, an example. But even within the United States, I think you know you have uh, uh, the culture shaped the church in the sense that sometimes that there is uh, that uh, the New England academic approach being well polished, and uh, that uh, and things like you know the appearance of the pastor uh, and stuff like that are not as focused upon. In fact. I've encountered those who have been involved in churches in New England that have said that effectively you have a very good-looking pastor, uh, that, and if you have a high-end performance and, and high production values of everything, that people will uh, question that in New England, and people will see this as fake uh, and as being uh, showy rather than legit having any legitimacy to it, rather than having any depth, versus in the suburban South sometimes those kinds of things, those kind of showy things can be the things that uh, I really attract people and that grow churches, whether rightly or wrongly. We like pageants down here, you know. There's a town, you know, Vidalia Onion, so they have a pageant called Miss Vidalia Onion. Um, and so my sister has witnessed this, so, you know, I, I can see it. Yeah, I think you're right. Wherever you are, there is – the people in the church are from the culture. In most cases are from that culture around the church. And so it's not like when you become a Christian, you suddenly become part of Christian culture and we're burlap sacks and stuff. And so, yeah, there, I don't think there's any option to not be influenced by it. It's just how much influence. Do you think – I mean on that, you think that, that it's necessarily bad or wrong that the, the culture shapes the church in, in various ways? I think not always. I think uh, oftentimes, but I mean, an example of where it's not always going to be wrong is, for example, the style of music that we do, the way that we dress is going to be influenced by culture, like it or not. I mean, even old German hymns uh, were influenced by pub songs that we now sing as uh, our classical hymns. Uh, and that's okay. I mean, I think in every culture, things like the popular style is going to influence how we do worship music. And it's going to influence, I mean, I'm not going to uh, dress as a Gregorian monk at church uh, because I don't live in a culture where that would in any way, shape, or form be the norm. Uh, but uh, I think more often, though, it's not these little things. More often, uh, the culture being shaping the church uh, is because the church looks more like an extension of our culture than something that transcends and outlives it. Uh, and I think oftentimes this kind of consumer-friendly mentality really becomes man-centered in the church rather than having the church be God-centered. That's really good. The church transcending the culture and outlasting, I think, is, is a great way of thinking about it. Um, so in our time and in our location, how is how has that done? Um, whether you know the the church being shaped by the culture, because it, it looks going to look different, you know, in South Africa or Thai, Taiwan or something like that. But um, here where we live, and I guess I mean if you want to get any more specific about regions of the country, you kind of alluded to New England and the South, and um, but just sort of American wise or, or other places uh, in America. How do you see that being done? Yeah, uh, so I think our culture is a very, compared to a lot of the world, we're very segregated based on demographics. Uh, and so not necessarily like race and stuff like that, but even age. And I think the church can oftentimes separate uh, separate those who are in different demographics more than we should, more than other churches in other parts of the world. Uh, you know, churches in different parts of the world would, wouldn't think of having uh, a youth worship service during the Sunday morning service, for example. Uh, but uh, you know, rarely do parents experience those kinds of things in the broader culture with their teenagers or with their children. Uh, and so that kind of reason, I think, has caused a separation of the family uh, based upon consumer-friendly church. That's, uh, that's interesting to know. Yeah, I mean, in certain places, they, they meet outside and, you know, under a mango tree or something for their church. And so some of the, the luxuries of Western affluence have allowed us to do certain things. I, you know, some of the things that I see going on, like there's the the term McDonaldization. I'm sure you're uh -huh. familiar with it. 
you know, came out of sociology, but just, you know, this idea that there's going to be efficiency and predictability and that we can calculate it. So there's kind of an emphasis on quantity over quality and, uh, and non-human technology. And I mean, all those things that you can see in certain churches, especially the, the seeker friendly, not to bash seeker friendly churches, but the, you can see elements of that or, um, you know, the, the multi-site movement. Um, again, I'm not trying to, to be uh, mean spirited. I mean, I, I disagree. Um, but there can be that, oh, they, they trust the brand sort of. Now, I've read an article recently that was talking about the Hill Songization of uh, the church. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. So it was in Christianity Today, and it was uh, it was looking at this work from uh, I think it was Romania or Hungary, one of those former Soviet countries in in Eastern Europe, where they were some sociologists had been looking at the you know basically what they called the Hillsongization of things. And the Hillsong has influenced things in their country and, you know, talked about this this transcendent experiences of God, the multimedia when they're singing um, and having these, you know, pictures of nature moving and, and different things like this. And these people really gravitated towards that, um, wanting something spiritual. And um, there, there was an interesting article, but I mean, Hillsong whether you like them or not, they have made a significant impact um, on evangelical Christianity and public worship. Um, and you know they've planted churches all over the place. Their their songs are sung far and wide. Um, and so you see some of those elements, sort of you know concert feel. And they weren't the first people to do that for sure. Um, but they really have, I guess, are at the forefront of it at this point. Yeah. You know some of the business practices, um, bringing those into the church. And again, not that that's all, you know, from Satan, um, but in some ways, churches being run like a business, mm-hmm. and um, that that can be problematic. Rather than using God's word as a standard, it's like, well, we're going to, you know, use the quote best practices, um, just kind of what's effective and pragmatic. I and, actually knew a pastor, by the way, that uh, I know a pastor that had said that McDonald's drive-through and the historical lesson of that should influence the church's decisions and and its structure just as much as the Bible should. Uh, wow, that's. <laughs> I mean, I think Ray Kroc was a Christian, from what I've heard. But, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because what I was about to say was that these consumer expectations and people viewing. I think I've said this before on here, but people viewing the church as like a religious drive-through. We so we come through, we get the religious goods and services of the sermon, the song, whatever. And then we drive on through, um, or maybe a drive-in. You get it and you stay there a little longer. But uh, though you, I mean, I think I've lived in different places and I know people from different places, and, and those kinds of things are pretty prevalent. So when it gets to not just culture affecting, but what? How do you think consumerism in particular has entered the church, and why do you think that that's the case? Yeah, I think consumerism is a big question. Yeah, I think it's entered the church a great deal, especially in America. Uh, and I think most American churches are affected by it, even if uh, they're not consumeristic in the way that we might think, even if they're not consumeristic based upon young people. So we often think of the consumer-focused churches as the churches that are going out of their way to have the youngest, most vibrant flock possible. Uh, but I think you know that we can do this even with churches that are more traditional. We can even see that. I mean, I know of another pastor um, that I was talking with, and, and he was asking uh, church leaders, uh, what decision in regards to a cancellation, a cancellation policy would make the congregants, the elderly congregants of his church, most happy? Because he wants to make sure that they, they're happy with his decision. And that being kind of the guiding principle rather than safety or wisdom, uh, I think shows that, I mean, there's a level of consumerism that has infected it. Uh, and uh, I think uh, this show is shown a lot of facts. I was reading a study, I think it was from Barna, uh, that talked about the reasons why people choose the churches that they choose. And there's some really good reasons that people do. But uh, according to the study, only 42% of people claim uh, that opportunities to serve impact their church choices. Uh, so the vast majority, the majority of people, of that more than half of people, say that 
their opportunity to serve the Lord in the church is not even remotely a consideration for them when they're choosing what church that they're going to go to uh, when they move or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you you, you hear people talking and then, sort of, you know, what do you have for, for young marrieds? What do you have for kids? What do you have for youth? What do you have for senior adults? Um, and, you know, it's sort of like you're picking your favorite department store. Oh, yeah. Um, Totally. Yeah. And and why I think it is, I think we're just, we are such an individualistic society, uh, probably more so than almost any other society in the world right now. Uh, So I think it's somewhat inevitable uh, that we see uh, almost every decision that we make as as an isolated individualistic decision for myself and my family, uh, rather than something Mm -hmm. about how I can be part of uh, a cog in a bigger whole, if that makes sense. So I think that's, and, and I think that churches are built upon seeing people as fundamentally consumers and individualistic rather than, uh, rather than communal individuals. Yeah, I, I think you're, that's a really good understanding of that because our culture, I mean, we were talking about Super Bowl earlier and the ads, how big of a cultural, I mean, that's the biggest TV moment in, in the, the year. And then people, uh, what is it, about a million dollars a second for airtime? Or maybe it's not quite that much, but it's significant capital that's spent on yeah. you know a thirty second ad in the Super Bowl. Um, the thing is, advertising works, and so um, you know it's like I buy, therefore I am. And so those things have really affected the way the church looks at um, its current members, potential people to, that would join. And so you know, just this, you talked about McDonald's and the drive through, the success of businesses and how we measure success is has something that has definitely entered the church. So if we have more people showing up, then it must be this must be good. Whatever. So we got to do whatever we can to get more people to come. And I don't, neither one of us is like, no, I think we had 50 people extra show up this week. We, we must have been doing something unfaithful. I mean, it's not that mentality, but it's just this pragmatic, whatever works. You know, I think too, do you see other churches who are doing these things that are really appealing to the consumer mentality? And it seems to be working because they're attracting crowds. Um, and so, well, they look successful. And so, well, we've got to do that too. And like so just the natural sinful selfishness um, that we experience as humans, um, well, that, that our culture celebrates, you know, this, you know, everybody looking at their own screen, viewing their own media on their own iPhone or, or whatever it may be. Uh, that's what, you know, you, with your internet plan, you got to you be able to handle up to 10 devices at one time. You, think, I, you need 10 devices streaming media at one time? I What? Well, you know, and so I t- think it's interesting. But just one thing to add, you know, I find conviction even in the fact that I think even someone who probably is a little less consumeristic than uh, certain church leaders and uh, certain movements – Probably. Uh, but, you know, I think that I've even been infiltrated by it. I've been uh, I've been impacted by it, even in the way that uh, me, as well as most pastors I know, kind of judge success. And uh, I mean, that's what consumerism is built towards getting uh, success in numbers and success. I mean, success that you can count. Uh, and so, you know, we think of, I mean, churches think of success as how many people, how m- that, what are our specific numbers? Uh, but when David tried to do that in the Bible, God almost killed David for that. And we think, but we think that that's something that we should aspire to. <laughs> that's a really, really uh, poignant thing to say. Yeah. And I mean, it, in one sense, if you have, how many ever people you have, whether there's 15 or, you know, 1500, those are that many souls that you have an opportunity to minister to, but just because there's a lot of them doesn't mean that necessarily everything is good or that the Lord is smiling on what you're doing. Uh, and there can be that misconception. So how mindful should we be of the concerns that this, this consumer oriented focus brings? Um, I mean, is there anything to it or is it just complete garbage? I don't think it's complete garbage. Um, I think consumerism does allow us to search for where people are and what we need to focus on, not as a way of trying to say that, you know, we're going to replace preaching through the Bible uh, with doing a uh, 10 part series on how to have the best sex life possible, <laughs> uh, but just, <laughs> which is frequently done. And, for, and you know, yep. but it does allow things like, for example, you know, of knowing 
like knowing who the people are there and understanding the people in a way that consumerism does seek to do. I mean, we can preach to specific struggles and we can even preach to the way that consumerism is manifesting in people. Uh, but, uh, uh, but ultimately that being said, uh, it, there is the garbage aspect of it. Of the reality is that what we win people with is what we win them to, uh, which is funny because that's kind of a consumeristic statement in itself. But I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, if we it's win, just human. yeah, and if we win people with consumers and we get consumers out of it, uh, and I think it predisposes them uh, to choose the world that offers them more in the immediate. And I think it's especially relevant to young people, uh, youth. I think when we build on a consumeristic model for youth and children's ministry, uh, we're predisposing them to become consumers that will inevitably choose the much better consumer product, which is going to a movie on a Wednesday night or you know, hanging out with your buddies and getting drunk on a Sunday morning. But I think this is particularly disastrous in that way uh, to those going into the uh, the world in a post-Christian age. Because I think if we build uh, upon a model where we're offering the best consumer product uh, in the world around us that says that Christianity is bigoted, it's evil, and being a Christian is going to be hard, people aren't going to make the hard decision to follow Christ. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I think there there is something there, and you you brought out some good points. And things like just being aware of the cleanliness of your facilities, um, are things inviting? Um, uh, are things done well? And I don't mean it's excellent, and it's just you know we're like professional thing. But I mean, it, music, for example, it would be helpful to have people who have some level of skill, and that they're not having to restart the song constantly because you know they're messing up on the the piano or the guitar or the organ or whatever you use, uh, or someone that can sing on key. I mean, those are, those are helpful things and those are different than, you know, we're trying to put on this professional quality experience. I mean, there's churches that talk about that, the, the weekend experience. <laughs> um, and I mean, I knew I've got a friend, uh, who church that that was the saying he was on staff there for a while. Um, he's no longer there, but, that was the saying around their office was Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming. And it was just all about making the quote weekend experience the best that it could be. Um, ironically, or maybe not so ironically, uh, this church did not practice membership. Um, they didn't want to ask people to commit. And then they also, they got to a point where they were struggling uh, some financially and they're like, hey, we need people to give. But you think you're not asking them to commit themselves to the church then you shouldn't be surprised when they're not willing to give up the resources, you know? So, you know, and I think that it can also it can become um, worshiping the consumer and the visitors and the people that we hope to come to our church or come and stay at our church. Um, that, that can be the danger. But it's, I don't think it's something you just completely throw it out. So, Tony, what are some notable examples that you've seen of, you know, this consumer mentality driving what the church is doing? Yeah, I'm going to talk about two. Uh, so one, I, I think of, uh, so uh, there was some publicity recently, a couple months ago, of some large churches, large churches that are within the denomination that we're in as well, uh, that have decided so that they can have the best Sunday experience. And in their work of preparation to build up just the, the Sunday experience every week, they needed to take the Sunday after Christmas off uh, to give their all their workers that work so hard to make this incredible consumer experience a break after Christmas. Uh, so they skipped the Lord's Day uh, to, so that because, you know, this consumerism exhausted them. Uh, but I think also another example is something that's coming back that was so big and a uh, pastor that kind of came big about 15 years ago that podcast is referred to when you look at our podcast sometimes. Uh, a pastor about 15 years ago became famous and criticized for taking the cross away from the center stage of the church and for uh, really downplaying the cross and how the church advertises itself. And that's coming back. And I've seen churches that would claim to be otherwise healthy that have undermined the cross to really make things that are more marketable and consumeristic to the world around us that's not a big fan of the cross anymore. Oh, those are both good examples, uh, kind of different than what I was expecting. So I, I heard of a church where the pastor did some sort of stunt on stage where he like he rode a dirt bike. I don't know if he did it like he flew up in the air or something. Anyway, he rode out there in a dirt bike, um, which was supposed to be cool. And this church plant, I read a guy's article. Somebody, a church near him was they were 
planting, and they sent out mailers to people, and they said, would you come to church on Sunday if the music didn't well, quote, suck? And they said, well, at our church, we play covers of the songs you like and listen off these bands, and we don't Jesus up the lyrics. And it was just this blatant, like, we're just going to play you some music that you like. Um, I've seen churches doing, you know, Super Bowl Sunday or Football Sunday and, you know, come with your favorite football jersey. And this one church, uh, they, they handed out cups to everyone on Football Sunday, and it had a picture of the pastor preaching on it. I just thought, hmm, uh, I guess, you know, get behind the the fearless leader and uh, let's go. But, and I'm sure we could multiply examples. Um, and some of those are more subtle. Some of those are just like almost pitiful, to, in my opinion, um, just trying to copy the world. So, I mean, those are some examples that are maybe not so good. What, how little is too little, do you think, be, you know, paying attention to people's consumer taste or whatever we want to call that? I I'd say in response to that, I think that we should in some ways allow consumerism to shape style, but not substance. Uh, and so in that sense, I do mean little things, you know. So I think, for example, there are some churches that still debate whether we need to have the old hymnals or whether we can incorporate uh, slides and things like that. And I think, you know, in that there's nothing that's uh, detrimental or nothing that's undermining your teaching by incorporating some styles uh, that are prevalent in our consumer-oriented age. Some of the choices that are made in the world around us. Or even, again, you know, uh, that I don't think there's a need for a pastor to dress up in a uh, suit and tie in a culture that that's rarely seen as much. I mean, perhaps you're in a culture where that is common, uh, but I think it's not a compromise uh, to uh, be influenced by consumerism in those aspects. Uh, but I think next generation's ministries are a little bit more complicated than what we do because they're not mentioned in the Bible. And so, you know, I don't think, for example, I know of churches that say you have to stick to the, a strict structure of uh, Acts in any, uh, like, Wednesday night youth activity you do. And I don't think the Bible specifies the youth activities at all. So uh, I think too little maybe that you don't ever put your yourself in the shoes of an outsider. Um and so you don't look at things through their lens when they come in, whether they're a Christian or they're just not part of your church, they're not familiar with the lingo, um, and you just assume everybody knows what they should do, what you're doing, where they're going, and all of that. Um, and again, you're just not welcoming. Um, I think that those—I mean, I've heard the analogy used, if you're practicing hospitality in your own home, you make some effort to clean up. I mean, some people—I um, mean, it's like a museum when you come in there, but— Everybody they make some effort to kind of straighten things up. You may, you know, scrub the toilet, whatever. And, and so there's some aspect of that. You want people to feel welcome and not like, wow, they really don't <laughs> take care of this. And I just think when, you, when you're never – and I think it's an act of love. So, Tony, how far is too far? So we've established, you know, what's not enough. But And we gave some crazy examples. Most churches are not in the place to have a pastor ride out on a dirt bike or you know, do some of those things. But like how far is too far just generally speaking? And thinking even about um, with next generation stuff with kids and with students. I think it goes back to the numbers, again, that we foc- I mentioned earlier. Because, again, I think that's all of what it's built towards. I think no one would ever have to do situations like some of the th- some of the ridiculous illustrations that we've both given if they were not trying to use that to achieve numbers. Uh, and I think when we focus more on numbers than faithfulness, uh, we have gone too far. And I think First Corinthians two. Mm-hmm. I don't read it much, but I mean, Paul talks about foolishness of the, uh, of the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world, and he basically says that you know. By the world standards, my ministry is a failure. But in the wisdom of God, this is success because it's faithfulness. Uh, and I think that uh, I think when we undermine anything of that to promote uh, numbers higher than faithfulness to the Lord, then we have done that. And I think when we compromise our ethics. Uh, and we compromise our ideals so that we might achieve a consumer advantage. I think that we've gone too far. Uh, but I think also when our budget is stretched not due to ministry but for consumer items, we've likewise gone too far. 
and you know, I don't think this is an extreme example to say that uh, things that are small and things that are just really attractional and consumer oriented oftentimes take far more of the church budget that even on it than even honestly lost people would be comfortable with uh, in light of knowing what the church is supposed to be for. Mm, that's a uh, that's uncomfortable to think about. I think, yeah, when everything, anything is just a byproduct, it's related to what you're talking about, where, where numbers can be the dictator, but that everything is designed around outsiders and become almost worshiping them, like, oh, man, we want you here. And I think there can be that can be driven by evangelistic concerns, which are good, um, but it's not always that pure. And it's sort of, we've got to validate ourselves. We had a bigger crowd than we, you know, this year than we did last year or this month than we did last month. And, you know, somebody can be just trying to keep their job. And so... I think when that becomes the focus, um, and we're not really trying to feed the sheep, that can be a problem. So do you think that we should promote various programs that say, because this can be a big area where there's emphasis, oh, we have stuff. And I've said this many times myself um, about having stuff for children or youth ministries. Um, Should we promote those things to those outside the church? So it's actually interesting you ask that. Because uh, ironically, consumer studies show itself that that kind of thing doesn't really work. Uh, so, you know, I, it's funny how churches get caught in consumerism, but we get caught in a bad, ineffective consumerism. So we often think that, you know, the key to growing our church is that we need to make sure that we ha- we send out mailers and flyers to everybody. We need to send out, we need to put up a, a sign for a VBS at the Starbucks. And then sure enough, we're going to get big attendance to that. But actually, almost every study of seeing why people actually come to church events shows that they don't care about those kind of things. Instead, they care about being invited and about people opening up their lives to them instead. I don't think it's bad, but I think it does show an underlining worldview. Uh, I don't think informing people, for example, though, of a gospel-centered and biblically rich entrance ramp to the church is bad within reason. You know, I think, for example, I mean, we're very clear. We're not deceptive in what we're doing uh, for a children or youth uh, program that is evangelistic in note. I think it's fantastic to advertise and, and show some of the things that people enjoy of it that is beyond just the gospel if we're not underplaying what we teach. Uh, but lead on what it is. Don't try to make an make uh, make any of our outreaches and entertainment into the kingdom type of methodology. Mm, yeah, I think I think that's a wise approach. Um, in one sense, yeah, why not? Especially with the internet, um, but not necessarily spending tons of money um, on that kind of thing. But it, it could be that you know one person sees it and they need to see it and they come. Um, you trust that the Lord's providence. And there's a difference between you know putting some something up on the bulletin board at Starbucks and taking out a, an ad for a billboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, but speaking of that, I mean, it just I'll say, that kind of thing does feel a little bit weird to me. I mean, the New Testament doesn't say not to; it doesn't address it. Like you say, you can emphasize fun aspects, th- things that people enjoy, um, but. You don't underplay your teaching, and and then when you get them there, I mean, obviously, the, you're not trying for a bait and switch. But I mean, at the same time, I was, you don't if you're gonna have a VBS sign, you know, you probably are not gonna put bring your kids so they can hear how they're gonna go to hell unless they turn to Jesus. Um, you're probably gonna that's not gonna gain you a hearing right up front um, with unbelievers. But if they see, okay, I mean, if they're bringing their kids to a Christian church, they've gotta expect they're gonna hear something about Christ. Um, and so I think there's, you can just accept that base level you know, knowledge. Um, and so you can emphasize the fun and the games and the music and, and, and talk about Bible teaching and things like that. So yeah, um, yeah I think it just, it's like so many areas, takes wisdom navigating it. So. How attuned should we be to the desires for various programs maybe the people that are currently members of our church might have? Maybe, you know, they want a youth choir, we want a mops group, uh, mothers of preschoolers, um, or whatever it may be. I mean, how attuned should we be to that if we have any responsibility for helping that go? 
I think that we can consider these things and should consider them if they are tools for the proper purpose of the local church. Uh, and I think that's for leadership and elders, especially of a church, to kind of really set a vision and set what you know the church is to be about based upon understanding of Scripture. And I think these are fantastic if, if the church believes these are means to accomplishing that end. Uh, but I think don't do them if they're just methods of increasing consumer base. Uh, if instead it's just a way to have more things to be seen as uh, to be able to touch base with more types of people in different kinds of ways to kind of look like you're active so that people think that this is something, there's something cool to this thing. Uh, but I think instead you should be driven by what your vision is and what you think the purpose of the church is. That's good. That's just well said concisely. Yeah, I mean, there can sometimes be the notion that it's like, if you're breathing, we have something for you. Um, (laughs) And yes, you want people to feel of whatever, whatever's going on in life that they can be included in the family of God. Um, But at the same time, I mean, like we talked about recently, you know, we are aliens and exiles now. And so now, not that we're just trying to be weird, but at the same time, there is ought to be something different about us in the way that we live our lives together. And so I think you just, you're trying to be pastorally sensitive to where people are, but not held captive to their felt needs. So does appealing to these more or less consumer desires, uh, does it help or hurt in the long run? Um, You know, does it further contribute to the problem of people thinking I need to have my consumer desires and needs met, or does it actually help them where they're at spiritually? Yeah, I think at best it helps for like five minutes. You know, I've known of so many people that have given stories of leaving a healthier church and going to consumer-focused church or or shifting their church to more consumer-focused. And their child, for example, gets more excited about church. And, you know, and that chalks it off as then that's a success. Uh, and, and I understand the feeling of the parent, and I, I do get that, but I think at best it helps for like five minutes, uh, effectively. It helps for a couple years at best. Uh, and I think one of the ways that we can actually see this is uh, there was a pretty big study done in the spiritual life of, uh, of uh, Orange County and the LA Times a couple years ago. You know, Orange County, California was the like the capital of secret churches in America, of mega churches. There were more per capita than anywhere else in the country for years and years and years, by far. And it was kind of seen as what Orange County does is kind of uh, te- what the rest of the country will do spiritually in 10 or 15 years. And so these big Orange County churches became the famous models of how we do churches because uh, they were growing massively in numbers, largely through transfer growth, not actually from evangelism growth. And what was actually found later, LA Times uh, did some studies and they showed that um, there was no effect of these mega churches uh, increasing religiosity in, in Orange County. Uh, in fact, uh, with the rise of these consumer churches uh, has actually led to decreased church attendance overall in the county. And uh, and they show that almost every single one of the, those churches that has been in existence for at least uh, 10 years is in decline. Uh, in fact, some of the largest churches you guys as listeners might know of that think of as a benchmark example in Orange County have actually been in decline for a sizable number of years, but they don't advertise it for intentional reasons. And a what, what, <laughs> come to us, we're shrinking. Well, and what they effectively found too is that so they have a retention problem by massive amounts. So these, what will happen will be that they'll keep other churches' kids, but then they will not keep their own kids. Uh, and so you know, I might, I might bring my kids to this consumer church, and they might get excited, uh, but they have such a low bar of faithfulness and such a consumeristic model of faith that their kids are going to have no interest at all when their kids grow up and their kids are going to, it's almost as uh, LA times described it basically as a step out the door of church involvement altogether, you know, uh, entering into the consumer minded church is just, it's like the foyer on the way out of involvement of church whatsoever. Mm. That's wow. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, I can see how that might be uh, just that the notion of what faith looks like following Jesus. Um, but well. I think I mean I guess maybe I'm slightly more um, optimistic in some ways that it may provide some genuine helpfulness to the person. 
I think it just takes, again, it takes wisdom and, you know, it can certainly be hurtful because you're just training people to continue to go on to, um, you know, what I need, what I need to get rather than looking to serve and to love, even as they are being loved and served themselves. You know, it may help someone help, help them grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. But at the same time, it's just there are dangers there. And so I think you want to push people to the Bible and, you know, why, why this program or why that? So how about when it comes to facilities? Because this is, can be a big way um, that this thing can show up um, and you can spend a lot of money on uh-huh. this. But when it comes to the facilities for kids and youth, I mean, how nice, how cool, how whatever do you think those things should be? I think they can be nice and and relatively cool. Uh, but I think we need to realize for anything that we do in that capacity, I think that these even decorations of the kids' wing should be seen as primarily a tool uh, to uh, best teach, reinforce teaching often, and to keep kids safe as well as youth safe. Uh, so one actually thing that I had done when I was at a previous church, I led a shift uh, to a new, a really new focus uh, called King Cadets. Uh, and with that, we decorated our kids' wing and very royal focused stuff. You know, it's cute and, ki- and and fun and everything. And but the purpose of that for us, I hope, was not so that we would have something cool that people would talk about, but that so that it would reinforce in a fun way our focus that we are that we are uh, focused on Christ's kingdom and that we are focused on living for the eternal kingdom rather than living for this world. Uh, and uh, but I think there are many cases where that's not the driving factor. Uh, but ultimately, when you look at how we do our facilities, if you are a Jesus Chuck E. Cheese, you will seem to the world and you will give the impression that you are basically in the same business as Chuck E. Cheese. And if you're in the same business as Chuck E. Cheese, you're just a worse <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese. That's right. You're always going to be a worse uh, version of the world than the world is. Um yeah, I mean, you know, there was a church and a place that we used to live that was referred to as Six Flags Over Jesus. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. Did you ever hear that? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Kevin Burrish yeah. told me about it when, when we were visiting. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, the first time I heard about it, I was like, huh. And then I drove past it, it on the interstate, like and I was like, oh, okay, I see where that comes from. Now, I will say I have heard some very positive things from there and um known some people that were connected there and they were serious about their faith and um so you know i i don't want to throw rocks but just that notion of i think some of it was because of the appearance of it it is a an enormous church um you know one of the largest in the country but um again like i said i'm not going to say their name but i've heard many positive things about them even they try to clean their membership roles and um institute more meaningful membership and things like that um so I agree with you. I think – and I've kind of moved on this. But, you know, I mean we are embodied creatures. Um, we don't want to be, you know, neoplatonic and think, oh, it's just the soul that matters here. And, you know, again, you, you want to have clean, inviting facilities, uh, safe facilities. You know, if you, you bring – some visiting family into the kids classroom and there's a light fixture that's, you know, hanging there about to fall, you know, that, that doesn't send a good message, things like that. And I think I liked your point about the, does it help aid the teaching? You know, one thing that I have seen, and this is becoming, you know, increasingly popular is like places, and it's more, this is not so much for kids, but you see it more for youth or just the church at large, making it look like a nightclub or something. Um, I think it's a little too far. Um, you know, we're not trying to be like the world, just minus the alcohol-infused, you know, dance, whatever that's going on in there. And so that kind of is interesting. I mean, I read an article on um, for the church. Do you know that blog? It's a Midwestern Seminary. Yeah. So they had one. Some guy wrote about why we sing with the lights on. Um, you know, there were people of yeah, the light. Now that. again, you can't save conclusively. The Bible says we should sing. You know, with <laughs> light coming in stained glass windows or whatever. Uh, but I think there is an element to that. And then it's not every, you can't see anybody. It's this, you know, thing of you and God and, and there in the, the nightclub uh, sanctuary. Um, so 
I think those are some things to consider. Uh, but what the focus? I mean, what that's what it comes down to. Is it God's word and his son, or is yeah. it just how awesome this place is? Um, and it's actually our Corwin, who's, who's been on the, the podcast, he was showing me this uh, church in another state that had just opened up a youth building. So, you know, I'm not a huge fan of, I know sometimes space considerations, but anyway, they just build a, a youth building and there's like multi-million dollar facility. And I mean, it was incredible for how nice it was. And I, I don't know, they've got way more money to work with than, you know, we do. Um, so it, it's easy how to tell somebody else how to spend their money, but you know, it just, it just felt a little uncomfortable. So Tony, how can we keep biblical principles dictating our direction, even as we try to contextualize and adapt to our own cultural setting? I mean, that's really what we're after. Yeah. Uh, so I think making sure we make the focus on biblical and theological priorities first, uh, when we realize that we can build it, everything best around them. Uh, so I think we always have to first think about our biblical and theological focus and then everything flush everything else around it. And I think, unfortunately, the discussion tends to not start there. And instead, we tend to, we tend to force uh, the biblical and theological truths that we hold dear on, onto something that we've already decided uh, but I think set with that, you should set vision of kids or youth ministry with scripture. Uh, and, um, the, uh, uh, and I think, yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. Set a vision of your kids or youth ministry with scripture. And I think you really reinforce that and make it all about that. Uh, one area in which we try to do this at our church is we make sure that every time that we have a meeting of children or youth or whatever ministry, we want to start with a little devotion, a something that's from scripture that's going to guide what we do. Uh, and I'm ask I ask all of our youth leaders to read a, a really healthy book, uh, by Brian Cosby, uh, the uh, Re Reclaiming Youth from an Entertainment Culture, uh, Giving Up Gimmicks actually is the main title. And, uh, and I think when you use those kind of things to focus rather than first and foremost focusing on uh, what objects we're trying to achieve rather than what vision we're focusing on, you will really, I think, head more in a healthy direction. I like the idea, you know, setting the tone for those meetings with something, keeping that at the forefront. Because uh, we're not there to entertain kids, or just, you know, keep them off the streets, keep them out of trouble, make good Christian citizens or whatever. Why and not? I think that just feeds into what I was, you know, thinking along these lines that, you know, we have to know the Bible, grow in our knowledge and our understanding of it, and also interact with others, um, get feedback and wisdom from others, um, and, and even those with whom you might disagree. Because, I mean, I, I have moved some on this with time, just trying to consider uh, all that's involved in it. And, I mean, like I'll say, we're, we're doing – we're remodeling um, our big kids' ministry area room, our primary one. Um, we're, it's in the works. It's, nothing's actually happened that you can see yet, but there's stuff going on behind the scenes. And that is not my thing. Like in college, it was funny because my roommate – for most of the time, he, his dad traveled all over the place, all over the world for business. And so he had stuff from these different places. And then you look over at my side and there was like one picture frame and that was it. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, that's not my thing. Um, and so I feel very uncomfortable and I'm like, man, this is, I mean, the money in my wallet's the Lord's money just as much as the money in the church's account is. But I mean, it is a little different. And so I'm trying to be careful as we think through that and and go, okay, well, this is how are we using this best to make disciples to bring glory to Jesus? Uh, not just, we're going to make this awesome, you know, and the kids are going to be just amazed. But, uh, you know, I think you, you definitely seek for God's wisdom in applying scriptural truths. Uh, and don't just look at what some other church is doing and go, oh, that looks cool. Let's do that and adopt it uncritically. Or just what's getting what apparent results through yep. high attendance. So what counsel would you give to parents as they might be considering going to a church? Maybe they move to a new area or they're just they're staying put in their area, um, but they want to they're looking at a church that might appeal more to their own or their kids consumer taste. I mean, like what kind of grid should they use in, in processing through that decision? Yeah, I think I say a few things to them. I would say before I give the grid, I would say I would advise that they're setting a dangerous precedent. Uh, by making that kind of decision that, you know, we, 
that we react to their consumer desires rather than setting a vision for them. And we're maybe only delaying an inevitable fallout uh, to something bigger rather than actually solving the issue. I think oftentimes at the best case, the best thing that you're really doing is delaying a dropout or delaying a disinterest in church rather than solving the issue. Uh, and I would ask what they think it communicates to their kids because I, I think kids pick up on things more than we realize and kids grow their theology based upon how you make decisions even for the family's church and I think it's not going to be helpful. Uh, I would I would warn if we don't fight consumerism in a matter that is this important as where you go to church, we may end up giving up the whole tide to the whole tide of consumerism in almost every aspect of life. And we know how devastating consumerism can be. Uh, and that, then I would say in making a decision uh, and having a decision grid, way more in things like uh, the nine marks of a healthy church. I encourage you guys, you can Google that. I think those are some healthy judgments of what a biblical church is. Uh, but then some of these things can refine our decisions beyond that. So focus on things like uh, biblical uh, preaching of the word. Focus on things like healthy church membership. And after you've found churches that fit within that, I think after that we can uh, refine our decisions between multiple through these kinds of things. But that shouldn't be our first and foremost guiding factor. Uh, that's some good things to think through. Um, and you got to ask the question, who's leading the home here? Has God called the children to lead the home, or has he called uh, the parents? And I, I've had a conversation about this a couple of times with a, a good friend, and um, you know, his idea was like, well, you know, if the kid gets older and he wants to go to such and such church and he's growing, then you know, why not go? And while I'm sympathetic, at the same time, that's letting that child and, you know, sort of just make the decision. And what about the relationships that you as the parent have with other people in the church um, and that your child may already have at the, the current church? Now, there, there can certainly be good reasons to leave a church. Um, but, you know, and just another thing, I mean, the parents ought to know better than the child what the child needs spiritually. There are going to be exceptions. You got an unbelieving parent or something who's just sort of tagging along. Um, but generally, and God's design is that you know better what the child needs spiritually. And so, um, yeah, that, that, like you said, it can just set up some very bad trajectory. Well, Tony, this is, a, I guess, in some ways an uncomfortable topic, and it's just one that I, I continue to wrestle through. And so I was looking forward to going over this with you, and I think it will just prompt me to think further. And I hope it's been helpful for our listeners as they consider these things as well. So thanks for talking with me today, and yeah. thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.